Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded over half a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 202 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and in today's episode, we celebrate Australian Hiker's fifth birthday. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice so that each episode is available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. On the 11th of November 2021, Australian Hikers celebrated its fifth birthday. When we started in 2016, we had no idea where we would be today. In this episode, we reflect on our past year and look at where we are heading over the coming year. We close this episode by answering the often asked question about how we got into hiking. We hope you enjoy. To start off with, we're just going to look at what's happened over the past year for Australian Hiker. One of the biggest things for us this year was celebrating episode 200 uh, and for a podcast to reach that number of episodes is very rare given that the average podcast show tends to only last about seven episodes. For us, we have been producing podcast episodes for five years, and that means we've been averaging around about 40 episodes per year, give or take. That's that's a lot, and that's a big achievement. And, you know, really, it, that's up to you, Tim. I mean, you've been the, the driver of this and uh, the consistent... Uh, had the consistent focus and made sure we did all of those episodes every month. Now, in relation to the podcast itself, um, technically this is episode 203. We did produce episode zero. Uh, we don't talk about we it. We don't talk about episode <laughs> zero, no. Uh, and it's it's one of those sort of things that, it, you know, when we first started off, that was the recommendation, produce an episode zero to say the podcast is about to start. Um <laughs> People don't tend to do that much anymore, but it still is there. We've had our podcast episodes downloaded over 650,000 times. Wow. Uh, And on the average download rate that we get, that puts us in around about the top 15 to 20% of all podcasts worldwide, Uh, not just hiking podcasts. So it's, it's something we're pretty proud of. We've got an audience spanning 147 countries. And our top 10 countries, uh, and not unsurprisingly, uh, with English-speaking countries first. So we go Australia, United States, United Kingdom, New Zealand, Germany, uh, then Canada, Ireland, India, Sweden, and Hong Kong. A bulk of those countries tend to be pretty much the same. Uh, sometimes they do swap around, but certainly the, uh, the top three countries are pretty consistent these days. Moving on from podcasts, since we started in 2016, we've done 209 trail reviews. Now, our intent was to try and average roughly around about one per week. 
uh, <laughs> Except during 2020 and 2021, yeah, as it turned out. And the last half of 2019 as well. Well, that's true. We average around about 40 trail reviews a year, uh, and that's not an unrealistic expectation. Some of them are fairly long, involved trails. Some of them are quite short. But by the time we go through and walk the trail, take the photos, do the review itself and publish, uh, that's pretty much close on a day's work for me to put that all together. Um, so it, it does take a bit of time and effort to put a, a trail review in, in place. Last year, we sort of managed to get trail reviews in all Australian states and territories. And I must admit, you know, we were planning on spending a bit further afield this year. But, you know, this year and last year, COVID certainly reduced the, the ability to do that. And we've got quite a lot of uh, trail reviews, which we'll talk about upcoming in a moment, about where we're going to be heading over the next year or so. We've got 409 gear reviews available online. Now, we've actually done more than that, but sometimes some of the gear is no longer on the market, no longer available. Um, the links are still there um, if you've uh, saved them somewhere. I haven't actually deleted them, uh, but we everything that's available or every gear review that's on the Australian Hiker website is still gear that it's available to, to purchase. And those reviews are updated uh, at least once a year. We've done 207 general articles, and that includes hiking practice, safety, recipes, definitions, and fitness. Uh, and again, so over the period of around about five years, so that's about 40 a year. And I must admit, that's probably that probably does surprise me a bit. Uh, I think I was ideally aiming for around about uh, 25, 26 of those a year, once every two weeks. So it's a bit more than I thought we we were expecting to have. We're pretty much on the major social media platforms, so YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter. Um, we have kept away from things like uh, uh, TikTok and some of the ones that have come and gone in that sort of process. And the, the social media platforms we sort of are on tend to fit the market that we do quite well. These days, things like Facebook has tended to be considered for a slightly older demographic. But for us, we have people who follow us on Facebook uh, in their 20s and in their 60s and everything, everywhere in between. Now, what's happening in 2022? And this is a bit of a, a repeat from last year to a great extent. We had all sorts of um, amazing ideas for 2021, expecting the pandemic to be over and be able to get out and about. Uh, and that just didn't happen, uh, not just for us, for just about everyone. Uh, so a lot of things that we had planned for 2020, 2021 have just been put off uh, and just recycled or, or pushed forward to when we can go through and, and get access to trails and gear. So we originally intended to do a lot of our hiking in further afield in New South Wales and into Victoria, uh, and COVID certainly did limit that, uh, and I'm hoping that that will be the case next year, that we can actually get further afield. We originally had planned for this year to do longer two- and three-day hikes, uh, things like uh, – and the first one really for us was the Bondi to Manly Walk, which I managed to complete only a couple of weeks before the, the start of the pandemic in 2020. 
but there's a number of other hikes in that 40 to 60 to 80 kilometer category uh, that are considered coastal walks or uh, walks that uh, don't require major planning as such uh, to be able to do. Uh, and I'm hoping to get back to those again in this, in this coming 12 months. In regard to the longer hikes, uh, we have been trying to finish off the human hobble track from 2019. I've still got 116 kilometres left to do of that one. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll we do, will it. do that. Uh, now, partly the, fir- the initial delay was the fires where a good section of the track was closed. Uh, and by the time we got around to the track being open again, and I was just about looking to plan and finish it off, uh, the pandemic came into play. Uh, and again, the same thing in, in 2021. <laughs> the same story. <laughs> so I do actually have it booked in for next year to finish that off. I mean, I figure I can do that in sort of four to five days, uh, but we'll see what happens and hopefully nothing will prevent me from finishing that off in the coming year. From my work commitments, uh, I, I am struggling to do the longer hikes. I was hoping to do the Heisen Trail over the last 12 months, and that was really uh, squashed by COVID preventing me getting into South Australia to do that. And really, my work commitments are sort of making it harder to do the long multi-week hikes. So certainly over the next couple of years, I think the focus is going to be on the five to six, five to seven, maybe even the 10-day hikes rather than the multi-week hikes. Uh, and for a lot of people, that's not a bad thing. Because, that sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah, I think I think there's probably more people that are interested in those sort of hikes. Uh, and while there is a large number of people that are into the long distance hikes, I think there's a larger number that are keen to do those slightly shorter uh, hikes that are, are manageable for most people getting into, into the longer hikes. So, so the long short hikes. The long short hikes. Yeah. <laughs> Couple of specialty outdoor adventures we've got coming up over the next 12 months. And this is something that I've been trying to do for two and a half years, uh, was hammock camping and bikepacking. And I have a bikepacking trip planned for 2022. I have a hammock camping series of articles and podcasts and gear reviews planned for 2022. Uh, and I've also got a long-distance urban hike uh, also planned for 2022. But again, these were all hikes that I was hoping to get into uh, in the last two years uh, and just wasn't able to do so. Uh, so these are slightly different adventures. And yes, I know bikepacking doesn't quite fit into the uh, the hiking idea, but it's a different way of revisiting hiking trails, just with a bit of difference. We've got 100 gear reviews planned for this next 12 months. And I think from my perspective, we were a bit slow or a bit low on doing gear reviews in 2021. And partly the reason for that is we only review gear that we've actually tested in the field or at home if we if it's a if in it's our, a product. In our backyard, and, pitching and, tents in our backyard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but certainly there's a limit to what we can actually do for that. So, you know, getting out, giving stuff a real test out in the bush uh, in real-life situations does limit the amount of testing that we can actually do. And in that respect, that has dropped the numbers of gear reviews that we've gone through and done. As part of the reviews, I also try and do around about 12 book reviews a year. 
uh, and this year was a, a bit low on that. Uh, just because I found myself doing so much reading for work, coming home and doing reading was one of those sort of things that wasn't really on the. This is going to be what I'm doing to relax in the evening. Yeah, we don't talk about office office jobs destroying your joy of reading. <laughs> We've got 38 hiking podcast episodes uh, uh, in play, uh, and we've still got a few episodes left to run for this year, uh, but I've got a schedule of podcast episodes almost fully booked up until the end of uh, uh, September next year, and I've mentioned previously in the uh, in episode uh, uh, 200, or episode 200, where we released our 200 podcast episode, uh, that there is some flexibility in that uh, that schedule. Some other things are pretty much locked and loaded and are, and are very time-dependent on the time of the year or events that are happening around them. Uh, but certainly I do have the flexibility to go through and move and change things. So if you have any ideas about things we should be doing or people we should interview, interview please let us know and we'll see what we can fit in. Please don't be offended if we don't get to it for a number of months. As I said, sometimes... Uh, I've got to work around schedules of pre-booked interviews. Um, it's been a while since I've interviewed someone from overseas, uh, but again, I'm hoping to get back into that in 2022. Now, just to finish off this episode, one of the things that people do often ask us, and we have had a request to do a, a dedicated episode into how Jill and I got into hiking. And we just thought that this was probably a good opportunity on our fifth birthday uh, just to talk about that rather than doing a standalone episode. So this next few minutes, we're just going to talk about... Us. Us, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Now, from my perspective, I didn't do a lot of camping as a child. I certainly did some, both with family and friends' families. I certainly did a lot more walking and I'm part of a generation that uh, would come home at the end of the day or go out on the weekend and go into the, our local bush looking for lizards uh, or uh, collecting rocks or uh, um, we had, a, had a, a rifle range not far from where I lived and as a, as a young child I used to go up and collect the empty shell casings uh, this was in this was in the days where uh, uh, shooting ranges weren't fenced up, weren't fenced off, and anyone could just wander up into there. It's a wonder we all survived. I, think I mean, so. for me, for me, camping was always a, a thing that we did. Probably less walking, um, but as a kid, uh, yeah, I do I do remember uh, quite a bit of camping, and you know, some of it was quite remote in terms of. Uh, actually, uh, get, getting in a boat on a um, a huge dam uh, in the, the snowy region and uh, he- heading off and finding a, a a campsite that was quite isolated and um, so yeah we we didn't do a lot of walking but we did quite a bit of camping. I suppose where my love of walking has come in is uh, I again as a as a, a kid as a teenager before I could drive uh, myself and my friends just used to disappear for the whole day. We'd sort of have breakfast, uh, grab some lunch, uh, and then head off for the day and come back at about five o'clock in the evening after I've been wandering through the nearby bush or going down to the local lake and yabbing. Uh, and I think from my perspective, walking has always been something that's that's allowed me to do an activity. 
so even as an adult, it wasn't unusual for me to go out walking for the day and just keep on walking and do 20, 25 kilometers. Um, it was just something that I've always done. Uh, I've, for a lot of a lot of my my adult life, where possible, I've walked to work uh, and walked home, and I do that now in a lot of cases. Um, so walking is probably the common denominator here that disallows me to get out bush. In relation to getting out bush, I think from my perspective, I do like being out in the bushland away from the city. Um, as I said, it, it, it often, as a child, was collecting lizards or, or, or hunting for lizards. Um, and we used to, you know, back in the days where this sort of thing wasn't frowned upon, we used to bring lizards home and have pet lizards. Um, not so much this sort of thing you do these days, and in fact it's actually illegal to do that. Uh, but um, you know, you've, you're supposed to leave things in the bush where you find them. But you know, as I said, certainly when I was a kid, that was just the sort of thing you did. I would always, wherever I went to, if we went to a national park or went to an area, we'd always go through and do a walk, even if it was a short walk. And up until probably um, the early 2000s, most of our walks or most of my walks were really about the short walk. You know, it's get out of the car, park, walk for a couple of kilometres and come back again. Mm, yeah, that's right. I think for us, the, the first of our big trips was South America in 2006, and this was where we had originally planned to go and do the Inca Trail. Uh, and that's a bit of a funny story on that one because uh, we'd gone through and done all the research. We'd bought Lonely Planet Guide. Uh, we read that, oh, no, you don't need to go through and do any bookings. You can just turn up and it won't be a problem. And unfortunately, at that stage, the book was a few years old. We flew in through New Zealand, got to the airport, waiting for an connecting flight, talking to people there. They said, oh, no, you've got to book months it's in all advance. <laughs> it's all booked. <laughs> You're too late. <laughs> so we discovered very quickly when we got there, we had ended up having to change our plans and we ended up doing what is called the Salcantide track. And yeah, it was the alternate route, sort of, sort of, with the end result being being Machu Picchu. It was a little bit longer than the Inca Trail, too. It was a little bit longer, a bit harder, and as it turned out, it wasn't a bad choice. Uh, one thing they didn't bother to tell people was there'd been a a landslide uh, as you walk into the Sun Gate coming into Machu Picchu, uh, so you actually had to get off trail, and they would bus you the rest of the way, uh, and they didn't bother to tell people that one. But we had a really good experience out of that and decided that long-distance hiking was something that we really wanted to do. I think from there, the next trip for us was in 2012. The next big trip anyway was 2012 where we went through and did Bhutan. Uh, and again, this was a, a longer trip, uh, a bit more complex. I, it was a guided trip uh, and that's fine. Um, and we really enjoyed that, and it, it was sort of really uh, instilled the love, from my perspective, of the longer trips. Yeah, and it was, it, I, you know, I think for me, um, both those um, trips, the thing about the hiking and the the walking, making your own way, is that you see stuff and you experience stuff that you, you know, uh, you would never have a chance to if you were driving past at high speed and, um, you know, just engaging with the locals and being able to really sort of take in um, 
in a really detailed way what you were seeing and what you were experiencing. So, um, you know, and definitely. And, and um, Bhutan was uh, 16 days. That was sort of the longest that, that I'd done uh, walking. Um, but And, you know, the altitude was a bit of a challenge uh, for, for both of us at different times. Um, but, you know, you, you also get this sense of achievement and this sense of accomplishment, I think, that, that, that goes with the experience as well. And I think from there, that, that trip in particular, I, I, as part of something I've done on every walking trip that I've done, even the, the, the day trips, you know, pre-mobile phones or, sorry, pre-mobile phones with cameras on them, I should say, um, I've always carried a camera with me. Um, I probably didn't take as many photos in the days of film because film itself was expensive to purchase and you know you had to pay for the development of it so you tended to be a bit more uh, thoughtful about what images you took. But I think from my perspective in, two, in the early 2000s when I got my first digital camera and you could take hundreds of photos just to get that one perfect photo, that sort of certainly had the biggest impact on me because I started really taking photos on these sort of hikes. And it's really interesting because I prefer not to carry a camera and not to take the photos. Um, if I see something that I'm really, really interested in, I'll just tell Tim to take a photo of it. Um, but for me, it's about looking up and out rather than looking through the lens. And, uh, yeah, so, so Tim and I um, walk along and I'm looking up and out and Tim's got his, you know, face pushed up against a camera when we're doing those sorts of walks. <laughs> On an average one-week hike, I will take around about uh, 800 photos, and that's been pretty consistent for many years. Uh, and partly, you know, and he still misses stuff. <laughs> that's your job then. <laughs> and partly these days, what that does do is, you know, when I'm going through and doing uh, these short little video vignettes that we do for our hikes uh, to, to show people what the hikes are like. Um, I take photos of the trail, uh, and if I find something really exciting um, for me. If I get an opportunity, I love fungus and mushrooms and toadstools of all types, uh, and I'll very, very comfortably take lots and lots of photos of those. I'm not a big fan of wet hiking, so by that I mean Tasmania. So when we did leeches, the o- I'm not a big fan yeah. of leeches. <laughs> when we did the Overland Track uh, in uh, early 2017, uh, we did it one of the side branches, which was into Pine Valley. And I could have very easily have spent a, an entire day in a 10 square metre area or 10 metre by 10 metre area uh, with a macro lens just taking photos of moss and lichen and fungus of all types. Um, you know, if you're into macro photography, that's the place to go without a doubt. But you're not into moist places. No, and that's the problem. If I can somehow get there and stay dry and, and not have to walk through wet conditions, I'd really appreciate that. <laughs> I think over the years my hiking style certainly has changed. I mean, you know, my my biggest trip by far was the Bibbulmun Track in 2018, uh, and I think that will go down as probably one of the most memorable hikes I've ever done. And there are other hikes that are the same sort of length and the same sort of distance, but it just had the, the right sort of feel to it. And there, there are lots of long-distance hikes in Australia but I think the thing that I really do like about the Bibbleman is that it's you do go through towns, 
but there's a lot of wildness to it. You're not walking through a lot of rural areas or management road, uh, and the management road you are walking on, you tend to be going through bushland or forest areas, so you don't tend to think you're in a, a, a built-up sort of area. I think the other trail that really sticks out for me is the Larapinta Trail. Uh, I take the view that I tend not to do repeat hikes because there's just too much out there that I want to see and there's there's not enough years left in my life to go through and repeat things over and over again. Uh, but Larapinta is one of those trails that I will go back and do at some stage. Uh, and for those of you that ha- know a bit of the history of the Larapinta Trail, originally when it was proposed, it was supposed to go from Alice Springs to Mount Zeal, uh, whereas it actually stopped at Mount Sonda. Mount Zeal is the, uh, the, the tallest mountain in the Northern Territory, uh, and it didn't actually go that far. And there were some reasons for that. Um, so it may never go to that sort of extent. But I have talked to some hikers that have done Mount Zeal, uh, connected through to Mount Sonder and then finished off the Larapinta Trail. And I think that would be uh, just that additional adventure uh, to make something just that bit different. But yeah, there's there's some logistical considerations for that. There's approvals you need to get for that, uh, and there's some areas you need to bypass or keep away from because they're culturally sensitive. Uh, but again, it's it's I can see myself doing that trail again at some stage in the next few years. I do also love the short hikes. Um, I'm not so much of a purist that I won't do something just because I don't think it's long enough or, uh, or it's it's out in the bush. I like the idea of urban hikes, uh, particularly over the last couple of years where... Uh, you by know, necessity. By necessity. <laughs> um, it's good to be able to... And, and Canberra is an excellent city for this because we do have a lot of bushland through the city and on the edge of the city. So it gives you the opportunity to walk through urban areas, to walk through parkland and to get out into bushland all without leaving the confines of the city. Yeah, and th- the thing for me is that distance doesn't always correlate to the experience and the enjoy the enjoyment that you might get. So, um, you know, we've we've done some very short hikes that we thought, oh, you know, well, it's only this length. You know, it's going to take us however long, and uh, really, is it worth it? And we've we've done it, and we've come back, and we've thought, wow, you know, what a what would have been an absolute missed opportunity if we'd listened to, you know, the 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 self-talk about that one and not done it? So I think any any opportunity we can get to do a hike, we will do. And as, and as Jill said, we don't always say, look, yeah, this one's not worth it, we won't bother. It might only be a two-kilometre hike. It might, have, you know, it might be only the view from the top of the hill that's worthwhile. Uh, and, you know, I have done over the last five years so many hills in the city of Canberra, which I've spent much of my life in. I didn't know there were that many. (laughs) That we didn't know that were there, that we have never gone up before, had never seen views of the city. And I think for a lot of people, they'll live their lives quite often in in one city or a couple of cities for their entire life, and they stay in the same areas, they visit the same areas. And this is a good opportunity to get out and really find out about the city that you live in. Yeah, and I think also even, even if you do stay in the same area, we, we often go to the same places and, and don't necessarily fully explore the area that we're, we're in. 
Um, and I think that's what that's a good thing that COVID is actually. If there's a good thing from COVID, this is this is it. I think a lot of people have uh, either discovered or rediscovered uh, what's pretty much outside their front door. And as as mentioned, one of the plans for 2022 is I'm in the process of planning a long distance urban hike, and by long distance I mean roughly around about 60 to 70 kilometres through the city of Canberra. Uh, and I'm just putting together that hike, uh, and that will be – I'm not quite sure when I'll go through and do that. Um, it won't be during, during the middle of summer. Uh, <laughs> it'll be sometime between sort of March and October that I do that. Um, but, again, I'm just going through and doing the planning for that at the moment, uh, and it's something I've had a thought of for a couple of years, um, and I almost, during my university degree – designed that walk as one of my assignments for my landscape. You know, my degree was landscape architecture and it was almost one of the, the walks that I designed. So it's it's the sort of thing that uh, any opportunity to get out and walk that I'll tend to take. Okay, that's the brief overview of why we got into hiking. Uh, and I still love it. I still love doing it and I will keep on doing it. And we love doing it together and we're still talking. That's the other thing. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, uh, And for a lot of our hikes, we tend to do it by ourselves. We tend not to do it with groups. Um, It's one of these funny sort of things that it doesn't matter who I'm hiking with, it doesn't matter how experienced they are, I feel obligated to try and make sure people have a good time. Uh, And that's partly because I used to work uh, in an outdoor recreation field uh, where I was taking on people on field on on trips uh, and having to make sure they had a good time and it's just a habit I just can't get out of. It's funny because my thing is are they safe? I, I just keep w- watching and making sure people are safe so not so much interested in whether they're having a good time. <laughs> and again, as I said, it doesn't matter how experienced they are, it's just, just the way we tend to be. So that's why we often tend to walk by ourselves uh, and as Jill mentioned, she doesn't like taking photos, so this is why she appears in so many of the photos <laughs> of our walks. From behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, we hope you've enjoyed that episode, and just to finish off, Jill and I would really like to thank everyone for their support over the past year and the past five years. Uh, we've enjoyed bringing you information on hikes and hiking in general, and we look forward to bringing you much, much more over the coming years. Okay, that's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.